Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You, and I uh, hope you're beginning to have just a great New Year as we begin the new year and the blessing of the Lord is in your life. And today we're going to try to answer a question. Has God broken his covenant with Israel? And the larger question is, can God break a covenant? And so those people who teach replacement theology, and what is that? It's also known as supersessionism, triumphalism, and... Some have tried to soften it and call it fulfillment theology, which is God is now fulfilling all of his promises in the Christian church and has rejected Israel. So however you slice it, replacement theology uh, is an eliminationist ideology. It's eliminating the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, that covenant according to these evangelical theologians and this theology died out after the Holocaust, but it's come back full circle in our Christian evangelical college today across America. And again, it's it's known as replacement theology, supersessionism. In other words, the church has superseded Israel. Triumphalism, the church has triumphed over Israel or fulfillment theology. All of God's promises are fil- fulfilled in Christians, but no longer in the Jews. So however you slice it, it's an eliminationist ideology. Franklin Littell was a Methodist minister who, after World War II, he was commissioned by the high command uh, to travel to Germany, where he spent 10 years of his life, he and his wife. And his objective with the American high command was to denazify German Christians. And he would spend the rest of his life writing about Christians' complicity in the Holocaust in Germany and Europe and trying to show here in the States that that theology was coming back and to try to counteract this theology. Franklin passed away in 2009, but his work continues. His library is at the University of Dallas, I'm sorry, the University of Texas at Dallas. His papers are housed at Temple University, and you can read his papers online. He's a fascinating, uh, godly man. But here's what he says about replacement theology. The cornerstone of Christian anti-Semitism is the superseding or displacement myth, which already rings with the genocidal note. This is the myth that the mission of the Jewish people was finished with the coming of Jesus Christ. The old Israel was written off with the appearance of the new Israel to teach that a people's mission in God's providence is finished, that they have been relegated to the limbo of history. This theology has murderous implications, which murderers will in time spell out. And we've seen as replacement theology was so prevalent in the church Uh, from about 100 A.D. onward in the early church fathers and so on through the Middle Ages, uh, we've seen that this theology always leads to bloodshed. It was this theology that led German Christians to believe in justifiable genocide in murdering 6 million Jews. And um, 
I'll say this, that nowhere in Scripture, and this will answer the question, can God or has God ever broken a covenant? Nowhere in the Bible is there an oath or promise that God breaks. He is always faithful to his covenant promises. Some would say that God breaks his covenants based on our lack of faith. Paul the Apostle would say, no, if we're faithless, what does God do? He remains faithful. And so Christian people, the replacement theologians will say, well, you know, if I sin, God is faithful. In, in, in judgment, he'll remember mercy. They'll, they'll proclaim that over Christians. But for the Jew, no. Once they rejected the Messiah, replacement theologians proclaim, once they re- rejected Jesus, there is no further mercy left for the Jews. So God cannot deny himself, 2 Timothy 2.13 says. And speaking of the Jews, Paul declares in Romans 3, 3 through 4, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faith fullness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. In other words, if Jews do not believe in Jesus, it does not nullify God's eternal promise to them. Again, in Galatians, Paul, the Jewish apostle, affirms all the promises of God given to Abraham, which include the land of Israel for eternity. He makes it very clear that no one can nullify the land promise because it was given before the law and confirmed with an oath by God. Here's what Paul says in um, Romans, um, in Galatians three fifteen through 18. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say that he, the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So the covenant God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 was irrevocable. It was really a one-way covenant. It wasn't dependent or conditional on Abraham's behavior. God says, this is the everlasting covenant I'm making with you. Yet it is so true that in the Mosaic covenant, God placed conditions on Israel's right to live in the land. God foreknew that Israel would break his commandments and be scattered across the face of the earth. Yet, even in judgment, he promised to remember the land covenant he made with them. In judgment, God remembers mercy. And here's what it says in Leviticus 26, 42 through 45. Then I'll remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away nor shall abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. And so what God's saying, I'm, I'm never going to break my covenant with Israel. They'll always be the apple of my eye. Even if they're, they sin, yes, they will. They will sin and they will be scattered, but I will bring them back to their own land. I'll remember my covenant I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So to question God's covenant and declare them annulled seems to undermine our salvation. 
and hear the words of the scripture from Hebrews 6, 13 through 19. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, um, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Let me say that again. It is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to the hold, take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So if God is unfaithful to his covenants to Israel, how can we trust him to be faithful to his promises to us? How can we who have fled for refuge to the Son of God have any hope that our salvation is an anchor of our souls? If God has annulled his covenants to Abraham, then the new covenant in Jesus can be annulled as well. But God has not broken any of his covenants, nor will he ever break any of his covenants. The Jewish people have been attached to this land for 4,000 years. In this land, the Jews became a nation and wrote the scriptures. Now, after 1,900 years of prophesied diaspora or dispersion, scattering, God, true to his word, is bringing his people back to their own land. So why is the church for nearly 1,900 years proclaim this heretical theology known as supersessionism or replacement theology? Why are they still proclaiming it today in seminaries across America? Why are theologians being trained in our universities, evangelical universities, trained in this replacement theology today? I was recently at a college, and that's where my work is on, on evangelical Christian colleges. I met with a Hebrew professor thinking I was among friends, and as we were talking, he said to me, uh, Aaron, I, I need to let you know, I'm, I believe in replacement theology. I don't see there's any purpose for Israel or the land of Israel. God has completely rejected his people. And so I said to him, how is it that you, you know, going to seminary and studying Hebrew and now teaching Hebrew in an evangelical university, how can this be? He said, well, I, I went to a very liberal evangelical university. They taught me replacement theology, and that's how I've come to my belief. Let me tell you a story, and you might wonder, how was it that German Christians could come to a place where they believed it was uh, the Christian thing to do to, to murder six million Jews? And I'll, I'll share with you a story that's a shocking story of the, a Protestant chaplain Cornman uh, and a Catholic, Catholic chaplain, Dr. Joseph Russ. And they were both German chaplains in the German army. And they were attached to the Eisengruppen. The Eisengruppen was a pack of young German soldiers who volunteered. Let me say that one time again. They volunteered. No German soldier was ever ordered to murder Jews. They volunteered for this assignment. They looked at it as a very joyful assignment. They were, they were having a blast murdering the 500,000 Jews in uh, Ukraine as they went in. And uh, they didn't have any gas chambers at the time. So the Eisengruppen, they rounded up Jews house to house, 
shot them point blank and buried them in forests. My family in the town of Trasinets, Belarusa, the Eisengruppen, who had belts, and on the belt it said, God is with us, got mine uns. They dragged my family, 17 people from their home in Trasinets, Ukraine, dragged them out to the street and shot them. So in, in Bila Sirkva in Ukraine, uh, the Eisengruppen, with these two chaplains, Catholic and a Protestant, Dr. Russ and, and Chaplain Corman, they went into Bila Zirkva and they murdered all of the adults. And after the murder of uh, a couple thousand adults, uh, Jewish people in this small village, in this small town, they rounded up all the children left over and they put them in a house at the end of the, the town. And so the children were starving, they were thirsty, and they were crying. And so these two chaplains, did they try to prevent the murder of the children's parents? No. They uh, supported the murder of the parents. But now a hundred Jewish children are there left. And so the two chaplains wrote letters to their commanding officers saying, we've got a problem. Uh, we've got a problem because the soldiers are agitated, they can't sleep at night, and the townspeople are beginning to ask questions. You know, the, the, the Christian town people are, what's going on here? This might be inhumane. We've got to cover this situation up immediately because the soldiers are becoming agitated and the townspeople are becoming agitated. And so they rounded up the children, put them in, in big tractors, drove them to the edge of town, and uh, the Eisengruppen, along with the Ukrainian um, police of this town, they shot 100 children point blank and buried them in graves. And the leader of the Eisengruppen, his name was uh, Commander Bobble, and he was arrested after the war. He was tried. After the Nuremberg trials, there was the Eisengruppen trials. And in 1951, the day of his hanging, he said this, he was a Christian man that was uh, guilty of 60,000 deaths as well as these 100 children. He says, whatever I've done, I did as a soldier who obeyed orders. I've committed no crime. I will be vindicated by God and history. God have mercy on you Americans who murder me. And so I'll tell you the end of the story because there's more that happened in 2019 about this Bill of Skirka when we come back from the break. We'll see you on the other side. Hello, I'm Aaron Free, President of Israel Team Advocates. Israel Team is standing in the gap for the Jewish people in a time of growing anti-Semitism in America. And there are many forces, even within Christianity, that want to divide the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. There has to be those who proclaim the truth about Israel in a time when nations are calling for her demise. Our organization works on college campuses where anti-Israelism is in vogue, especially on evangelical college campuses. Evangelical anti-Israel groups highly financed by George Soros and his Open Society organization are pushing evangelical millennials towards the abyss of anti-Semitism, and they are succeeding. One such group, the Telos Group, is funding all expense-paid trips for young pastors and evangelical college students to Israel where they feed them lies 
lies about the Jewish people and the land, and they come home anti-Israel. In just the last four years, evangelical young people have cut their support in half for Israel. In a survey in 2018, 69% of evangelical young people said they supported the Jewish people. A new survey in 2021 found that only 33% of evangelical young people support the state of Israel. So if we don't push back against the growing anti-Israelism within evangelical movement, evangelicalism could be anti-Israel within just a few short years. I'm asking you to help Israel team in this fight. I'm asking you to stand with us as we stand for God's covenant with Abraham and the land and the great nation that God is building in Israel. Will you give to Israel Team today? And there's two ways you can give. Go to our website, israelteam.org, to donate section, and you can give securely online. Be sure to give us your mailing address so that we can send you our new book, The Casualty of Contempt. You can also mail your donation to Israel Team. Find our address on our website, israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back. And we're talking about this little Ukrainian village, uh, Bila Zerkva. And just a few years ago, 2019, the Jewish community, as well as a Christian organization, um, they joined together to build a children's memorial to memorialize the 100 children killed in Bila Zerkva, Ukraine. And uh, they built the, ch- the memorial. They were getting ready to dedicate it. I think it was in May of 2019. Who would protest such a thing? Uh, s- several hundred Christians from this city protested this uh, memorial being built. The city gave them a, f- a previous garbage dump, which the Jewish community cleaned and then built the memorial there. And Christians wanted no part of the memory of their indifference to genocide. And so they protested this memorial being built uh, to these Jewish children. It's, the, there was no repentance. There was still an arrogance towards the Jewish people all those years later. So how did European baptized Christians remain silent? How did German baptized Christians willingly volunteer? Remember, no German soldier was ordered to murder Jews. They volunteered for the assignment. They also murdered one million children. And how they came to this conclusion was that replacement theology had been taught in Europe for 1900 years. The church has replaced Israel. Uh, the church is the new Israel. God has rejected the Jewish people. And by the 1930s, there was an eliminationist ideology with, within evangelical scholars and pastors in Germany. One man named Gerard Kittel. His books are still Uh, used in seminaries all across America, Kittle's works of the New Testament. He was a raging anti-Semite, and in 1933, he wrote a book entitled Our Jewish Problem in Germany. And he had four solutions. One was forced expulsion. Another was extermination. And so for an evangelical seminary professor in 1933 to call for the extermination of Jews shows you how his replacement theology had come to a place where it wasn't just removing them from Germany, it was murdering them. Replacement theology historically has always led to bloodshed. So Jews have been hated over the centuries because they were uh, poor, 
They were hated because they were rich. They were hated because they would assimilate into the society. They were hated because often they would not assimilate into society. In the Middle Ages, they were hated because of religion. In the 19th and 20th centuries, they were hated because of their race. And today, uh, they're hated because of the issue of human rights. The, the Jews are accused of being an apartheid state and uh, not showing human rights to the Palestinians. And so that's why they're hated. And Christians are calling for the elimination of Jews from the land of Israel today, from the river to the sea. Palestine must be free is the new call of many evangelical Christians. So replacement theology is always and will always lead to the elimination of Jews, first from their homes, then through mass murder and bloodshed. And one large evangelical church I was recently at, the pastor told me, you know, my entire staff of young pastors, they went to our denominational seminary, and uh, they're all replacement theologians. And so in order to carry on an arrogance, that belief that the Abrahamic promise is nullified, and because the Jews rejected Jesus, and all the promises are now transferred to the church, you have to believe that the Abrahamic covenant was nullified, that God is no longer interested in the land of Israel or the people of Israel, that Christianity is now global, Israel is no longer needed, and the church alone receives the promises of Abraham. There's three kinds of replacement theology, according to R. Kendall Solon, who is professor of systematic theology at, at Candler School of Theology at Emory University. He's, he's a um, New Testament professor that's counteracting and pushing back against the heresy of replacement theology spreading through the church today. So his three types of replacement theology are punitive, God made a new covenant with the church that replaced the old covenant with Israel to punish Israel for rejecting Jesus. Economic replacement theology, which they believe that God called Israel to prepare the way for the Messiah. And after he came, Israel was no longer needed. And the third kind of replacement theology, according to Dr. Solon, is structural. The history of salvation is structured to only need Israel as a negative example. So to answer the question, can God break a covenant? The answer is no. And the Abrahamic covenant is found in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who shows you contempt I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So in this covenant, there are seven parts I'll share with you too. One is a land covenant. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. The second is a national identity or a peoplehood. I will make of you a great nation. So all of these parts of the covenant are all interwoven. You cannot separate the people of the covenant from the land of the covenant. And God reconfirmed his covenant with Abraham. All through the scriptures, there are 46 times in the Bible that God confirms and reconfirms his covenant with Abraham. You can read these in Genesis 12, 7, Genesis 15, 18, Genesis 26, 3 through 7, Genesis 35, 12, Deuteronomy 6, 10, Joshua 1, 4, on and on and on. 46 times God confirms the unconditional promise of the land 
and the people of Israel. And in Psalm 105, 7 through 11, the psalmist writes this, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham. And again, this is the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 that he would bring Abraham into his own land with his descendants through uh, Isaac and Jacob, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. That's again the reaffirmation of the Abrahamic covenant found in Psalm 105, 7 through 11. You open up the New Testament, um, it says in Matthew 1, 1, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And remember that Jesus is Jewish, and Matthew is connecting Jesus all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant through his uh, ancestors, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jesus, when he returns, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah. He's not going to New York, Chicago. He's going, uh, returning to the land of Israel. In Jeremiah 31, 35 to 36, this is a, uh, evidence of the unconditional nature of God's covenant with the Jewish people. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease to be a nation before me forever. And what God is doing, what Jeremiah is prophesying there, God is saying, I'll never break my covenant. So if you ever want to wonder, hey, has God broken his covenant with Israel? Wait for the first night when it's really clear. Go outside. If you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, sun by day and the moon, the stars by night, you will know that the covenant God made with Israel still stands. So the Christian Bible, the New Testament, affirms God's present tense covenant with the Jewish people. Paul in Romans 9.4 says, They're Israelites, and to them belong, and belong is in the present tense. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. This is all in present tense. So how could I ever come to a conclusion, any Christian, and say, God's covenant has been broken. The Abrahamic covenant is nullified. All the promises that God gave to Israel now belong to Christians. It's heresy. It's untrue. Because Romans 9.4 says to them continually, present tense, belong the covenants and the promises. And remember, the covenants and the promises uh, are what God made with Abraham. And Two of them are a land promise and a people who had promised. Romans 11, 11, Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. And then in Romans eleven eighteen, do not be arrogant toward the Jewish branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. And so that's continual. It's present tense. The Jewish people are still the root. And God is regathering them for the four nations from the four corners of the earth, as it says in Ezekiel 37. He's bringing them back to their own land, and their own land is flourishing. Why is God doing that? Because of the oath and the covenant, the promise that he made with Abraham. So if God doesn't break his 
covenant with Jews, he'll never break his covenant with you. And we believe that. We'll see you next time.